If you were our sponsor, this is where your ad would go. With the new year, we are now accepting sponsors for our podcast, Weight Inclusive Innovators. Here's the thing. Our audience are passionate, weight-inclusive business owners who are looking to connect with and learn from their peers and want to hear what you have to say. Whether you've got an upcoming course launch, webinar, book club, or whatever else your brilliant brain is creating for other clinicians, we want to hear about it. Reach out to us at hello at weightinclusiveinnovators.com with the subject line sponsor, and we'll send you more sponsorship details. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians, to building a cohesive brand, to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it, talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight-inclusive business, the good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we're on a mission to bring business education to other weight-inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. Today, we are chatting about scaling your business. But before we dive into today's episode, let's do a report with Morgan. Hey, Morgan, first report of 2024. Let's hear it. I freaking love reports. I know we usually get pretty lengthy with them, but I just find them so fun and so fascinating. So I am reading a couple different things right now. I, so I've been using Libby and Spotify for audiobooks. And I keep getting like 85% of the way done with the book and then it gets returned or I go through my hours in Spotify. So I feel like I have like seven books started right now that I haven't finished, but I finally finished two of them. Wait, say more about the Spotify running out of hours. You only get so much reading time? Yeah. So if this, so Spotify just announced their audio book version and you get 14 hours a month for a billing oh. cycle. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, didn't realize that until I was like 85% of the way down with the book and it was like, you've run out of hours. And I'm like, that's so rude. That's so rude. Anyway, so I just finished two books because I finally got them back and finished them. So I just finished, we have always been here, a queer Muslim memoir by Samra Habib. And it was really good. She talked about being raised in the Muslim faith as a queer person and navigating what that looks like now she and her family immigrated to Canada when she was I think in elementary school and so also like growing up with that cultural dynamic um and it was yeah it was a really good memoir I really enjoyed it and then just finished listening to The Shift by Tinks so Tinks is a like TikTok influencer that I started following during the pandemic and I just like freaking love her and The Shift is all about like shifting your mindset when it comes to relationships, dating, and like being by yourself. And I just, she's just like a, like, I know a lot of people try to be like the big sister advice giver, but she is truly someone who I just really enjoy listening to. And then I'm reading a physical book as well. And it's called Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. And it was given to me by a friend. It was not on my TBR list, but I'm like 50% of the way through. It's this family in New York City that rents a house in on Long Island. 
And then there's like a massive um, shutdown of New York City. Like all the electricity goes out, TVs don't work, phones don't work, all of this. And the family that they're renting the house from was in the city and they come back to the house. And so it's these two families living in the house trying to figure out what is happening in the world. Whoa. Yeah, pretty good. I am currently eating some banana bread muffins because I had three super, super ripe bananas that I didn't have the heart to throw away. And I asked Instagram for banana bread recommendations and got some really solid ones. But then I ended up making muffins last night with them. And they're really good. For playing, I uh, reached out to a uh, local music academy school to inquire about taking piano lessons. I have played the piano since I was four. I took lessons pretty much all the way up through high school and just really love playing the piano, but I obviously don't have room in my studio for a piano. And so like, I have nowhere to practice, but I reached out to them just to like, see how much it would cost, what timing was like. I need to email them back and ask if included in that price can also be hours for me to go to their studio to practice because I don't really have any other place to practice and it doesn't make sense to take lessons if I can't practice, but I've just been missing. Share the TLDR and how much it costs to do instrument things these days. Cause I'm curious. Oh yeah. So the place that I reach out to it's, it's weekly 30 minute lessons and then one hour of a theory class and one hour of a master class, which I don't quite know what those are, but I love music theory. I took some music theory classes in high school. And so the total of all of that is $224 a month. That's pretty decent. It's not bad. I know. I yeah. to be way more. I'm trying to think. I feel like we probably paid between like $50 and $80 a lesson growing up. I mean, obviously that was like a while ago. And so things have shifted and changed. And that's also very different going to like someone's house in the suburbs versus like a music academy in downtown Houston. Um, so <laughs> have to keep that in mind as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I think if I can either find a place to practice or figure out if it's feasible to like store a keyboard in my studio, but I don't know. I don't think I'd like a keyboard. I'm so used to, I, we have, have a baby grand piano at my parents' house. And that's what I used pretty much my whole like childhood. And so I think it'd be really hard to switch from that to a keyboard. But we'll see. There, there's gotta be some place you can go and practice. Like I know in Denver, there's a ton of places where you can like go play drums and rent it hourly for like $20 an hour and things like that. I know you're going to figure it out. Keep us updated. I'll keep you posted. Obsessing. I'm currently obsessing about wrapping presents. I don't know what it was, but my mom is like a magical present wrapper. And I felt like I could like never live up to her standards. Um, She never had standards about wrapping presents. That was totally like me putting that on myself. (laughs) These are the moments where we think Morgan has part of a three in her. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) The achievement piece, 100%. But I feel like I've gotten more and more practice over the years. And I've just gotten not to toot my own horn, but I've gotten really good at wrapping presents. And I went over to my parents house on Saturday, um, because my mom just needed help wrapping some presents. And I realized how good I've actually gotten. And I just got to spend some time with my mom. And we like had the holiday on in the back and some Christmas music on. And we probably spent like four hours wrapping presents. And it was just like a lot of fun. Wow. Love that scene you painted. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch the holiday when I wrap my presents when I get to my parents' house later. Not later, tomorrow. 
But after this airs, it'll already be done. Yeah. Um, I fucking hate wrapping presents. <laughs> I I just, it it's like a, a values thing for me about presents in general, first of all, like the pressure of the holidays and um, buying things just to buy things. I know that's not how it always is. Like I definitely got people presents and like feel good about them and feel like they're very intentional, but just from like a sustainability standpoint and like. I don't know, man, so much wrapping paper goes in the trash. And I just, I feel conflicted because I understand and I see people's beautiful presence. I'm like, wow, that looks so cute. And then I'm like, no, wrap it in like a plastic bag or something. I don't know. I have used like paper bags from the grocery store to wrap things before. We uh, also have family members. So we recycle wrapping paper and I have a family member who reuses all of the bows that we use to wrap. Love it all the bows from the gifts and like reuses them so so this is me i'm just a scrooge sometimes when it comes to like earth things so yeah i feel i feel torn i am currently recommending not comparing what you do to other people when you don't know what their business goals are what their life goals are and what their life circumstances are Oh, say it again. I feel like we all need that recommendation again. Oh, I have just been, I, and it's because my revenue has been lower and it's been a wonky three months of business and whenever, and I have for sure been in much more of a comparison trap recently. And it's been a freaking funk. Like I, it's been so hard to get out of. And what I just keep coming back to is Morgan, you don't know what their life circumstances are. You don't know they're behind the scenes and you don't know the goals that they have set for their business. And so you don't get to compare yourself to them whenever there's a very good chance that your goals, your life circumstances, and what you actually want out of life and your values and all of that is so much different. Preach. So focus on yourself. Yeah. Mind your own. Mind your own. And then at Talking Shop, I feel like I am trying to figure out if all of my revenue was in a pie, what size pieces of each pie I want to come from all my different projects. And I'm being very cognizant of exploring whether this is shiny object syndrome of wanting to try something new because business has been hard the last three months. Or if this is like a nudge from the universe to shift my focus to actually do things that are in alignment with what my life goals are. And I can't Mm -hmm. figure it out yet. But that's Mm -hmm. what I'm talking to a lot of people about. If you've had a phone call with me in the last several weeks, you know that this is what's on my mind. (laughs) I mean, it's such a important business thing to think about. And then I'll throw another factor in there that I know you're thinking about, but you didn't quite say is like, what does the market want? Like what is actually viable and you can sell? Right. Yeah. Mm. It just feels, it feels up in the air and I will always gravitate towards new shiny things because that feels fun and exciting. And I've had this, I've like gotten myself stuck in this mindset of your primary, me talking myself, your primary business is branding and web design. And that's where your revenue needs to come from. And everything else is a side hustle. That's just going to give you fun money. But that's proving to be very different as I am expanding to new offers. And so I'm like, like, what's the balance of wanting to chase after those new offers because they're fun, 
versus being like, oh, well, that actually has the potential to bring in more revenue to support myself. And do I explore that and it be risky of not knowing the ROI like I do with my design studio? I'm going to need you to pick up the book that I'm going to talk about in my report to help you through this. Perfect. I will order on Amazon after this. Perfect transition. What is your report? All right. My reading. I am reading a book called Essentialism. I think it's called Essentialism. Let me look it up. It is because you sent me a picture of it this morning. It is called. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, It is my last day in Mexico City. Sad girl. I fly to the States tomorrow. I know. So. What? I just I know. Like, can't believe that you've been in Mexico for two months already. Can't talk about it. We'll we'll um process next episode or something. <laughs> I'm enjoying my last day. I decided not to work at all this morning because I didn't start meetings until one. So I took an Uber into the city. We're staying at my partner's parents' house, which is a little bit outside. And I went to a coffee shop. I actually went to two because one didn't have a bathroom and I needed to pee. So I'm like, okay, more coffee. Fine. Um, and I sat for a bit and read my book, which is essentialism. And it is so good. And one of the things they talk about is what an essentialist does and what a non-essentialist does. And what I like through the book is it has a lot of graphics and little charts that kind of pulls key points from the book. So I know for me, I have a hard time regurgitating to you what I read but I know that it resonated for me, but the little charts like helps guide. So when you're talking about chasing shiny things versus like staying focused, being essentialist would tell you to focus on one thing and give it your all, Um, which is also hard because it's like, well, if I feel like I was doing that and what if that's not paying off, what does that mean? So, but I do highly recommend that book. If you're someone who's feeling pulled in a ton of directions, also feeling like you're super spread out and you need to be reeled back in, figuring out how to maximize what you do and minimize your time is essentially the takeaway. Dang. I feel like that's going to be really challenging. I'm ordering it now. (laughs) (laughs) Add it to your Libby. Okay. So that's my reading. I'm going to, I'm going to have to buy this book. I feel like this is going to be a book that I'm going to have to take some notes in. I like it. I am eating two pastries a day on my last day in Mexico city. I had, what did I have this morning? Oh, I had this orange cake. It was mm, so good. And then right before this, I had a concha, which is like a light pastry with the crusty shell. Describing it for folks who may not know, it's a Mexican pastry. It's so good. And so I'm just going to miss having easy access to those things. Playing, I am playing paddle. Paddle. It is oh, so paddle. So bad. It's so fun. So if you don't know what it is, which I didn't know what it is, um, it is a sport that is like tennis and pickleball. Um, It's better than pickleball, people. I know. I know people are very cutthroat about pickleball. It is more fun. Um, I hope you can find a paddle court near you. Basically, you have like this wooden racket with a bunch of holes in it and you use a tennis ball and you also like are in this court that's kind of like grass. And then there is... um, plastic walls around you and you bounce the ball off the walls if you want. And like, it's just, it's so fun. And we played it a bunch when I was in Valle de Bravo and now I'm obsessed with it. So that's also my O. And so (laughs) I also would recommend playing paddle. I'm just kidding. My R is different. 
but I really have enjoyed playing that and I'm going to prioritize how to find where I can play that if it's even a thing when I get back to Denver. Um, so fun, obsessed and playing. That is the beauty of being in Houston with such a strong like Mexican culture influence is that we actually have paddle court facilities that have paddle courts. Yeah. You should go, please go. Let me know what you think. You're going to love it. It also kind of reminds me of racquetball. Do you ever play racquetball? I have not, but I've seen it. It is super similar. There's so many, there's like 10 sports that are like all very similar with a variable changed. Mm -hmm. So I think there are some similarities with racquetball for sure. Yeah. I am recommending deleting Instagram off your phone. I just thought as your business godmother, I would tell you, delete the things that are distracting you. Instagram seems to be a big one. I'm also a hypocrite in this because even though I don't have Instagram on my phone, I still log in from Safari sometimes. But I think we should all delete it off of our phone and be on our phone less. Preach. And talking shop, I am, this could be under my obsessed as well. I've been receiving money coaching. I want to bring my money coach, Joe, on the podcast. He's phenomenal. I adore him. He's great. He's like a sweet baby angel, very smart, very helpful. And so right now I'm talking shop about investing a lot. I've kind of passively mentioned mentioned on the podcast, I am a FIRE gal, which is financially independent, retire early, more of a coast fi. I'm going to throw out some acronyms. We'll do a podcast episode with Joe walking through all of this, but Basically, I want to have enough in my retirement to where I never have to contribute again. And it's just going to compound over time and build wealth. And so when I think about like what I want to make next year and like what my investment goals are, I feel so fucking confident in what I want to contribute and what I can contribute and still like live the life I want. Because in my day to day, I am pretty minimalist. Like I don't need tons of money to live on. The reason why I want to be a high earner is so I can put it all in investments and build like my giant nest egg investment portfolio. Um, So I am just talking about it a lot this week and finalizing things with my financial planners, talking to my money coach. We just had our last session of the year yesterday, and I feel very confident in my goals for next year. And my ultimate goal is to have enough in retirement to have more money than I could ever spend by the time I actually need to retire by the time I'm 35. And I turn 30 this week, next week. By the time you listen, I'll already be 30. So in the next five years, enough money in my investment accounts to just pop off. Amazing. I freaking love that goal for you. I also learned a new term this week, a new acronym called Henry. Mm-hmm. I- not rich yet. I think, I don't know if you'd fall under that, but I'm a Henrietta. A Henrietta. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yep. High earner, not yet rich. Um, well, it's such an interesting term, right? Cause it's like, what does it mean to be? What does it mean to be rich? Rich. And I think in that context, it is talking about like financially wealthy, where you have a net worth that is a ton. Um, highly recommend podcast episode from money with Katie that she talks about Henry's and Henrietta's. We'll link it in the show notes if you want to check it out. It's a good place to start with investing things. If you are getting to that point where you feel like you're a high earner and you want to like maximize where you put your monies, it's good. Amazing. We'll link it. You ready to dive into today's episode? Let's do it. All right. So we're talking about scaling today. 
And I know scaling can kind of seem ominous or sometimes it can seem kind of like buzzwordy, like scale your business, blah, blah, blah. But we wanted to just have like a very conversational talk about scaling with some tangibles for you. So when you hear scaling, what do you know? What do you think about Morgan? Oof. The first thing that comes to mind when I think of scaling is hiring a team. So I think my brain goes more to like what has to happen in order to scale, not really like what scaling is, because I truthfully didn't really know what scaling was before this episode and told you, I was like, I'm just going to have to ask you a bunch of questions because I don't actually really know that much about this. I, I think just like because of the nature of our work of working with private practice owners, I think a lot of it tends to be a little bit more like grassroots efforts. I'm a huge grassroots effort girly. I love some nice slow growth, some cozy growth. Like that's just, that's where my like vibe is. Don't get me wrong. I love growth. Like I love supporting people in growing, but mine is more of like a steady 45 degree angle and not like an exponential curve. Yes. And I think that's what scaling is associated with like startup culture where things scale so fucking fast because people gain momentum. It gets super volatile. And I don't think scaling has to be like that at all. And I actually think the way that we do business in the weight inclusive space with the folks we have of like service providers, private practices, people who build products that they sell, it is totally doable to scale and be stable and not have a ton of volatility like in the startup space. So Love that you mentioned that because I'm sure other people associate scaling with a ton, ton, ton of risk and high intensity, and it doesn't have to. Um, Also love that you're a grassroots girly. There's just something that feels so cozy about grassroots efforts. And I think it's because I love like human connection. And when I think of grassroots efforts of growth, it's usually like word of mouth in conversations amongst small groups of people. Um, And so I really love that. But that has nothing to do with scaling. So what is your definition of scaling? What does scaling mean to you? I don't have a definition of my own yet, but when I think about scaling, I think about the why. I don't know if it's a universal why or if it's just my why, but when I think about why we scale, it's to make bigger impact. So when I was a solo clinician in my own solo practice, one woman show, I knew at a certain point that I was capped on clients I was seeing and I wanted to be able to make it more accessible for folks to receive nutrition care for eating disorders, knowing I couldn't do it alone. And that was kind of why I was like, okay, the next step is to scale, which means I need to hire people. Um, The internet from Spendesk says that scaling is when revenue increases without a substantial increase in resources. And it also says this is different from growth. What is your interpretation of this? Oh, okay. This makes a lot of sense. I'm happy. I like having definitions of things. My thought of this, especially when it comes to like the folks that are in our space where we are making an impact by providing one-on-one care. My question is how can revenue increase without a substantial increase in resources in a sustainable values aligned, inclusive, accessible way? Because when I think of this, my brain kind of goes to, oh, well, your business can scale by passive revenue because that's when you're going to potentially get more revenue without needing to like spend a lot of more resources. 
or revenue increases without a substantial increase in resources by increasing your prices. But like, that doesn't feel super great either. I mean, like, yes, price increases are needed to match like what the world is doing, but there's a difference between like keeping up with the market versus like price gouging. I don't think it would be scaling either. I don't think that's considered scaling. I think it's that's just increasing your revenue, right? Because I think that's what's so interesting about this definition. And I wanted to talk out with you because we could all do that to an extent, right? But is it making more impact? Because that's what scaling feels like too. I think it can mean different because I think like what you mentioned, like having the big impact is also partly your definition of that. I don't know if that's a universal Depends on who you're asking, right? Because you can have some sneaky mother effers that want to raise revenue without increasing their resources. But yeah, I don't think I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think that's really scaling. And also like, is that sustainable? Right. Well, when sustainability like plays a role in that too. When I think about startups, which we traditionally associate with scaling, usually in the beginning of those phases, people are super stretched. So I wonder what this definition misses is that scrappy time where people are super stretched. People are overhired in hopes that the positions will grow. Um, A lot of the time there's investments in these spaces, which Mm -hmm. hopefully there's ROI for the investors and for the people growing the company. Like it can just get very kind of contradicting to this definition fast. And so I think the intention, if you have successfully scaled, means that you have positioned the company to be able to make more revenue and not have to add any other people at a certain point and can just create growth from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just looking at I'm my brain's wanting to go visual. And so I'm looking at some graphs between growth versus scaling investments in relation to that. But it's like, it's kind of like what I was thinking, what I was saying of like the scale is more of that exponential. I'm like, my brain is trying to go into like algebra. What's the like Y equals MX plus B is like the 45 degree angle one. And then like X squared is the exponential one. Is that right? Sounds know. right. <laughs> Take me back to eighth grade. Um, so my, that's like what my, what my brain is, is trying to comprehend. And I'm trying to figure out how you would get that like exponential shift on a graph of revenue. Like what needs to go into that? Especially in, especially in, our industry. Like if I can, I can see that super clear with startups, like that makes a lot of sense to me or with like companies like Google and Apple and Nike and, you know, all these bigger companies. I think I'm more so having a hard time wrapping my head around what this can look like in our space. Let's, let's start with some examples. I mean, first obvious one is going from a private practice to a group. And the scalability there is you're creating more revenue streams for your business by hiring other people who are helping bring in the revenue, right? Like that simple, that's helping you scale. Because obviously there's going to be more expenses for the business when you bring someone else on. Do those expenses tend to still just be a lot lower 
the more people you bring on. Yep. Yep. And so that's where the, the definition that we got, it's like, ah, because there does come a point where there is investment of resources, usually finances to bring on people to like eat those costs before somebody is fully in business, bringing mm-hmm. in revenue, offsetting the cost of the company and like helping you scale revenue. And so, yes, eventually. And that's where it's like putting in the things in place for the revenue to be able to be generated and sustained at a certain point. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like that in the beginning, but eventually when you do that three, four or five times with having people join your group, that's when you really feel the impact. And that's where the exponential piece comes in. Because at a certain point, like, for example, if you have a biller and you're paying a set amount monthly, that's what I do. I want to maximize that expense. So the more people I have and the more billing we're doing, we're maximizing that cost, right? Eventually that cost will go up at a certain scale, but paying for a biller for one person, if it's the same rate as having five people, Mm -hmm. that's how you scale because you're maximizing the revenue coming in. What are some other examples of scaling in our space? I would say another one is when people go from offering only one-on-one services to offering group services. So let's say you can get $150 for one hour of your time coaching somebody one-on-one. What if you had five people you were coaching in a group, facilitating community for the same hour, charging them $75 each, your hourly rate is now $375. So instead of the $150 you brought in from one hour, you can now bring in 375. You just created a community and you have five clients and they paid less. So it's a win-win and that's the way you can scale, right? You're using less resources or the same resources of your one hour of time, but you've just made a lot of impact for people and revenue. There's also scalability in going from one offering to multiple. And this one's going to have a little bit of a caveat too, because the quote unquote intention of scaling is you're increasing revenue without using other resources and time is another resource. So this is assuming one of your offerings is pretty passive. Maybe it's a product. Maybe it's you have somebody else doing the service for you, bringing in the revenue, and then you're able to focus on something else. That can be a way to scale as well. This is where I feel like my brain gets stuck because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm scaling my business. Look at all these offerings that I have. When in reality, it's taking up more of my time, not bringing in the revenue it needs to. I've had to purchase more systems in order to bring these offerings to life. And so I need to like shift that mindset of like, I'm not scaling my business. I'm just living into my passion of being a multi-passionate. I love that distinction. I'm glad we're having this conversation. Semantics are important, right? And that's the difference between growth and scaling. Mm -hmm. So why would somebody choose to scale? I don't know. Scaling kind of scares me. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I do know. I do know. Um, But I'm going to let you talk about this because you you have implemented scaling in both your businesses far better than I have. So take it away, girly. And scaling is on my mind. I'll tell more at the end, but you can scale because you want to change and diversify your role. So one of the things I think about with scaling a group practice is you don't want to make less money being a group practice owner, but maybe you maintain the same for a bit as you're having other people help you grow the company. You're reducing the amount of clients you see, and eventually you're just running the practice, but yet you're still getting paid the same because you've traded the resource of time and energy 
to maintain your same amount of money until you can make more because you've hired more people, right? Um, So it's because you want to change your role. Stepping out of the day-to-day. So that means building a company that runs without you. You need to scale to be able to do that. You need to replace yourself. More revenue. And we'll talk about things to think about with this piece, not to be all ominous, because you don't want to just make more revenue to make more revenue if you're eating into profit. We'll circle back. More impact. Like I said, you as one person can make amazing impact and that might be enough and that's awesome. But scaling allows you to reach more people, to employ more people, to make bigger impact in the world, to make bigger impact financially. It's there. And also from a business perspective, if you're building a company that you want to be able to sell at some point, having a business scaled and increase in revenue and profit creates more value for your business to be able to sell one day. All great reasons to scale. What are some things that people should think through if they're trying to discuss, trying to decide whether they want to scale or not? Because, and I think you kind of mentioned mentioned this when talking through some of those of like, I feel like sometimes people are told that the next step is to scale, but that's, I don't think that's always the case. Like, I think sometimes it can be okay to coast or just to grow or like not scale just to scale. Yes. You're opening another can of worms kind of of like, what is enough? That conversation of like, what is enough for you as a person, whether it's like, what is enough for you financially? What is enough for how you want to spend your time? What is enough for you workload? What is enough for you leadership and power load? Um, That is like the first piece that comes up when you think about like, should someone scale or not? Why are you scaling? All those things. Um, You don't want to just scale to scale. One of the things people are often driven by is bringing in more revenue, right? And that is part of scaling. But what can happen is people will bring in more revenue, but then they will have the same amount of profit. And my business coach, Ken, who came on the podcast, talked to us about this of like, if you're making more revenue and you hit a seven figure business, but your profit is the same amount as when you were a group practice of two clinicians, that's a problem. Why are you doing all of this? You just increased your workload and your amount of responsibility over people to make the same profit. That's not scaling. That's just a nightmare. More work, same amount of money. Mm -mm. And that's kind of the law of diminishing returns because when you scale, often you'll need more admin resources or system resources that cost money. So you have to make sure to maintain and control those costs so that you're not just eating into profit. And I think that's where, that's kind of like what I'm envisioning with like growth versus scaling because like growth, like, yes, you're going to make more revenue, but usually you have more expenses that come along with it. And when I say, I, I would say expenses and or resources, expenses being like financial pieces of it, of like having to pay to add another person to your Google workspace and, you know, those types of expenses, but also like looking at your time and energy as well. Whereas, yeah, now that I'm thinking of like scaling, it's like, how do you do that without spending a lot more money or spending a lot more time? And that those are the things that are going to like eat away. I mean, not time, but like finances that are going to eat away at your profit. If you're like expense growth is also matching your revenue growth. 
Exactly. And then also it's hard because there will be a period of time where maybe things are wonky and you are eating into profit and you're using a shit ton of your time to try to set up things in order to scale. Like that is a part that the definition we talked about earlier in the episode really misses, but eventually, and this circles back to essentialism, full circle, it's about maximizing what you're doing, making it efficient in the least amount of time possible, which is also an important aspect of scaling. If someone was coming to you and trying to figure out what the next steps of their business were, especially since you're a group practice coach, what are some things that you would have folks think through and reflect on in order to figure out if scaling makes sense for them in their business? That's a good question. Okay. So the place I always start with any decision is like, do you want to do this? Um, Because I think people, like we talked about, get into a bind where they think they should do something or that's the natural next step, X, Y, Z. And I want people to pause and ask themselves, like, do they want this? Do they want this for themselves? Do they want more revenue? Do they want more time taken from them for a moment, knowing they'll get it back in the future? Like, do you actually want to go through what it means to scale? Number one. Number two is, is your business that you currently have ready to scale? Are your systems in place maximized in the current stage that you're at? Are you like 100% working? You got a full caseload. You got referrals flying in. You're ready to bring on another clinician. All of that is important that your business is in a scalable place. If you feel like it's a mess, you have a ton outstanding in billing and like you're overwhelmed, it is not the time to scale. It would make more sense to put those systems in place first. And if anything, put the systems in place for efficiency and automations for your own sanity and then reevaluate the scaling conversation. Yes. I don't know if you can make a decision about if you're ready to scale, if you're in such chaos. So Mm -hmm. yes, just get your shit together first. Are you clear with your vision and your why for scaling of like why you want to do this? Big impact, more revenue, protect the profit, want to step out of the day-to-day. Like, why are you doing this? That's just as important as knowing you want to. What will be your return on investment financially? This is important to know how to do the projections and look at the numbers to see what you're going for and how you're going to protect the profit, especially. Because again, if you are going to, if you're at a $100,000 business and you're going for a million, but you have the same amount of profit at each of those stages, what is the point of taking on more work? Those are all really great things to think through. I think this is the idea of scaling has felt complicated for me in the last few years because it's one of those things where like, I have been running my business for a long time now. It's been five years of just working with weight inclusive business owners of doing design work. And so my natural thought is, okay, what's next? What do I do next? But I realized I don't want to have to manage a team of people. I don't want to be a leader in that capacity. And so I mean, that then and there like means that I probably should not be scaling the way that I have envisioned what scaling could look like for my business. I also feel like I am just now getting to a point where my systems are becoming more streamlined and automated. And so it also makes sense that I like have felt so chaotic with what scaling could look like because it already it has kind of like felt chaotic to begin with. 
And I just have my hand in a lot of cookie jars. I'm like, that feels really good for me right now. I need to read essentialism and try to figure out this whole like focusing on one thing. But like, I feel like if I made the decision to scale, I would need to go all in on one business idea in order to fully see that through. And like, that doesn't feel fun right now. Maybe it would be smart, but it doesn't feel fun. So I'm not going to do it. I appreciate your reflection on where you're at right now and your business model and what is fun because fun, we should fucking do a whole episode on fun because if all of this is not fun for you, that's important to look at. Like fun is probably the number one important part of business. You're having fun doing it. Um, It doesn't always feel fun, but you got to find fun and joyful elements. I don't think every type of business is meant to be scaled. And I like for me, group practice coaching, I'm not going to scale. I'm adding in other offerings because I want to have different ways for people to access me, but I don't plan to hire a coach under me to do group practice coaching. Like my service is just one-on-one. Maybe I'll do some groups, group stuff one day, but it's not for the intention of making more revenue. Like I feel very good about where my consulting firm is going and my group practice. I don't know if I would have been able to scale it if I had all the other stuff going on to the capacity that I do now. And I've only been able to take on those other things because I've scaled my group. And so there is so much truth in like putting your all in one thing, if you're going to scale and then getting to a place where it is stable to be able to look at other things. And we encourage you to reflect and ask yourself these questions, but also give yourself permission that like scaling doesn't have to be the next step for you. It can be, but really think about it because I feel like it's kind of the mindset of like higher, slow and fire fast of like, it's going to be way harder to like backtrack your scaling. If you decide you get into it and you're like, wait, this isn't what I wanted. Uh, That's going to be way harder. So spend some time, think about it now before you hustle really hard to scale your business. Yep. And if you do want to scale, that's awesome. It doesn't have to happen at a super exponential pace. Like in a startup, you can scale over a couple of years, which is what I would recommend. I don't recommend trying to grow 10 locations in four months. That is insane. Thanks for listening to the Way Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to our podcast to add us to your queue every week. Please leave us a rating and review and share it with a business bestie to help us reach more weight inclusive business owners who could use support and pep talks. We'll see you next week. Bye.